As a Papuan Australian woman, I acknowledge that I am a settler on this land that I live, work and create on. I acknowledge there are ongoing native title cases on this land today due to the impacts of colonisation and I want to pay my respects to the many Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples of this country and to their elders past, present and emerging. Hello listeners and welcome to episode four of the podcast series, Our Women, Our Stories. Just a small note that this episode will be the last for 2021 while I take a short break to focus on producing the written content for this project. But don't fret, while the episodes for Our Women, Our Stories will be on pause for the moment, I will be producing podcast episodes over the Christmas break for the Queensland Art Gallery, Gallery of Modern Arts, 10th Asia Pacific Triennial. You heard it here first, I will be interviewing curators, artists, and project support team about their involvement in the exhibition and all updates will come through my social media channels and on the website. As you know, this podcast is a sub-phase of the Australian Council of the Arts-funded project, Our Knowledge, Our Practice, Our Stories. We are exploring how we can elevate the voices, work and resources of First Nations women. This includes Aboriginal, Torres Strait Islander and Pacific Islander women. In this particular episode, I shared space with three of the humblest women I have ever met. I sat down with Auntie Sana Bala, Auntie Lisa Hilly, and friend and colleague Ruha Fafita. Again, we covered so much ground in this episode. We explored the different ways of decolonizing an institution, but also how these buzzwords like decolonization or co-design or culturally safe spaces and what they mean and how we can actually do these things in practice rather than just using them as a buzzword. For the merging public sector workers, we explored how these ladies came into these roles, the reflections they have for those in leadership positions in these organizations, And we also explored the term curator and how all three of these women haven't really been able to identify with that term and what other phrases and terms they use to describe their work. Once again, we will give these ladies the time to quickly introduce themselves before diving in. Introducing your first podcast guest, Auntie Sana. Uh, My name is Sana Balai or Auntie Sana Balai. I am originally from Bougainville uh, and I'm from the Nakaripa clan of Buka. I'm currently, uh, I am currently the museum curator for the Living Museum of Logan. Uh, it started as a concept and now it's becoming a reality. Introducing your second podcast guest, Auntie Lisa. My name is Lisa Hilly. Uh, I'm an artist and I'm a researcher. Um, I'm from the Talai people in Papua New Guinea. Uh, on my mother's side and then on my father's side I have a lot of mixed ancestries um, from Europe and uh, coloured South Africa. Um, at the moment I um, am doing my PhD at ANU, Australian National University. I'm looking at um, photographic uh, visual representation of Papua New Guinea women's bodies um, both in front of and behind the lens um, I'm also doing a fellowship um, with the German Maritime Museum, and I'm looking at um, looking at the the movement of Asian and Pacific bodies across the region um, related to German colonialism. So that's that's pretty much what I'm doing. I'm very busy. <laughs> I'm doing a lot. Yeah. And finally, our third podcast guest is Ruha. 
My name is Ruha Fisita, and my parents um, have connections back to Tonga, specifically the Vava'u group to my dad um, in the Lao Islands in Fiji. It's kind of that territory of it's Fijian, but Tongan, um, you know, this ocean, the lines we draw are kind of imagined. And so my links are to both of those places through my father and then through my mom to Wales and to Aotearoa, New Zealand as well. So those are my connections. I'm one of five. Um, Children, I'm the middle child and uh, grew up in Tonga and moved here to study uh, creative industries at QUT, Queensland University of Technology, about 10 years ago now. Um, and outside of that, have just continued to be here, now working as curatorial assistant at Krakoma uh, and trying to stay as involved as I can to in creating um, Creating and performing, I think it's just growing up in the Pacific, it was very much a part of life and uh, yeah, really, always really um, determined to continue to have that as to be something that defines my own life and interactions with my family and community. So yeah, I'm really happy to be here. That is a little introduction into your three podcast guests for this episode. Let's dive right in. My initial question to these ladies was, how did you enter this sector? And first up, we heard from Auntie Sana. Uh, um, my transition into artwork uh, started about in 1997. Um, my background, my previous background was in applied science, uh, environmental research, and I spent 13 years working for Bougainville Corpus Les Rio Tinto for 13 years, and also with uh, Pilbara Laboratories and Papua New Guinea Analytical uh, Laboratories. And my transition into art came in 1997 because I, I couldn't get a job in my field. So a woman called Olive Davis, um, Olive Tao Davis, she was the president of, or the chairman of Pacific Advisory Group to the museum. And there was a job going on there. So she asked me to apply. And I said, I'm not interested because I know nothing about art. Mm-hmm. And fortunately, she and her husband, Brian Cleaver, um, felt in that, I mean, applied, the, applied for the job on my behalf. And because in the previous, the last, Sorry, the last application I had, last interview I had with the geochem, uh, geochemical company in Melbourne, I got told that my name was a deterrent. So in this particular application, Brian, uh, who wrote the application for me because I refused to do an application, I didn't want to be burdened, uh, listed my name as Mrs. Cleaver. And I went and interviewed, this is Mrs. Cleaver. And, and when I walked out, Melanie Rabbit asked me, by the way, does Mrs. Cleaver have a name? And I said, Sana. And that's how I became Sana. My, my legal name is, sorry, my birth name is, sorry, my full birth name is Susanna Rihanna Tangereta Halili. Uh, but the legal name I go by now is Susan. So you didn't know I'm Susan. So it's, it's Susan Balai. Um, and that's how I got into art. And then when I came to, sorry, I'll talk, I'll talk, I'll talk deeply about that later. And I think I, I've always seen my role as a an honor. 
um, people from my community, from my generation, um, the problem we have is there was not, sorry, we came into this space, into Australia in a space where women of colors didn't really have much option, but to have the job out there. And, and uh, taking up this job in this art field, I felt that it was up to me. I've been given this golden opportunity to make a difference, to make sure that whoever comes after me, that they don't have to go through the crap I went through, where, where you were as far as people talk to you and speak to you in a, in a language where very slow, not wonder, or wondering whether you understand or not. So it has been my role to, to make sure that whatever, I'm going to use my big weight to break walls up there for the generation to come and do the real job. I've often thought about how I ended up in art because growing up, what is known as art in the Western concept, in our, in our area, I grew up in a generation, is what is known as art is actually a whole lot of things. It, 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 it's who you are, which, is, which include dancing, singing, performing art, visual art. It's all mixed into you. So my, as I said earlier, my transition into art came as a necessity. And necessity to do something, uh, first, to do something for myself because I was bored. And secondly, once I got into the art space, because I remember after the interview, having told them that my name was Sana, when Sana is my pet name, I soon realized that there was a lot of things in the museum in Melbourne that needed to change and that we as cultural owners of whatever was stored in, in Victoria needed to have a voice there. Yet, when I went there in 1997, we had a voice, but there was no, there was no place to project that voice. So you had to take your key and wait in line. And for me, once I got there, I knew that it was a privilege to be there. And I had, to, I had to make a decision whether I used it positively or I was going to say, if I excuse my effort up. Um, I chose to use it in a very positive way. And I also had a lot of issues where um, I, like anthropologists, because a museum is anthropological setting or history. A lot of issues are faced in that space then because we, we were moving like, sorry, we were moving up, sorry, we were cataloging the collection in preparation to move for the new one. And the challenge I had was the anthropologist or the museum people who looked at, who, who, who got information through the record were trying to tell me what these things were when I'm thinking, oh, I know what they are, you don't need to tell me. And, and another issue that was from the inside, the issue was facing from the outside, from our community was they saw the museum as a place that took this stuff. And why should we, why should we, why should we be part of that when they've taken our, our stuff? So from early on, I, I, I thought to myself, what needs to happen is to connect the two together. So what, what, one thing I used to say to the, whenever we had the Pacific meeting, the, the adversary meeting, I would say, would you let your grandmother 
live in a nursing home and not be settled because this stuff is ours, it's our grandmothers and grandfathers. So we should come in and breathe life into them. Um, but then they have, having said that, uh, there was also, we also had to abide with the laws and the rules of the policies that they had in place, which was created by colonial that did not really allow us in. And when I left the museum, I went to the NTV again, again in that space, I did not apply for this job. I went home and came back and there was a message that said, uh, the NTV, the National Gallery of Victoria is waiting for, um, is waiting for, I mean, looking for art handlers. So I contacted this person and said, come for an interview on Monday. So when I walked into when I walked into the for an interview, she picked me up and said, "You wait in the coffee room. I go and run up because coffee coffee time. I go and run up the crew and you can meet them before the interview." And when she returned, she saw this long line of I call them my children, waiting in line for hug. And she goes, "Do you know these people?" And she said, "Do you know this woman?" And Rosalie Gatry said, "Oh, she's Mother Bruce from she's our mother. Her name is Mother Bruce from from the museum." And she turned to me and said, you've got the job. That's how I got my job. Mm-hmm. Fast forward to Christmas party. We're having, we're having Christmas party and Judith runs straight to me. Hello, my name is Judith Ryan. It's a nice to meet you. Do you want to come and work with us? And I said, doing what? As a museum curator. And I said, I know nothing. I'm not interested. Anyway, she runs back. And I thought she was drunk. And I said, why don't you speak to the boss and then come back to me? And she goes, I'm the boss. And said, oh, she's definitely drunk. I then said to her, why don't you offer me the, tell you what, if you offer me the job in two weeks time, I'll, I'll think about it. She goes, two weeks time, I get a call from HR, could you please come and sign the forms? And I said, for a job, what job? I said, thank you, I got a job here. And the rest is history. Once I entered into that space, I realized how lucky I was to be in that space. And maybe rather than question why I was there and what I was doing there, I said, look, for 150 years, it's the first time a Pacific Islander is actually in that space. So I'm going to use it to make something out of it. So I told, before I signed up for the job, I told management that I had three wishes. First and foremost, I was going to present and represent art from the Pacific from a cultural perspective. Because if you ask anyone in Melbourne at that time, uh, 30 years ago about what Pacific people were like, they say, oh, aren't they the people with high whiskies or they do the hula hula thing? And secondly, I said, look, and I said, I, I said that my role was to present it from a cultural perspective to educate ourselves and, and the others about what Pacific is. So my answer would be for more than 200 years, a kangaroo had been hopping from Europe, it is not time for the turtle to swim. And you know, when the turtle swim, it might come across little islands. And within these islands are people with a very rich culture. So that's how I educated people. That's how I would present it to people. Another thing was that, um, uh, sorry, that was a, another one was I said that I was going to, uh, write myself out of a job in 10 years, because it's only fair that we bring someone in with new knowledge to do that. And the rest is history. In terms of uh, coming into being involved in the creative industry, um, 
Yeah, I think growing up in Tonga, it's quite funny to think it's not really something that feels too separate from other aspects of life. I was just reflecting on even the work of a creative industry has often been, it's even at a government level, it's confusing where it sits in the island. Sometimes it's under the Ministry of Women, sometimes under employment, youth, mm. um, foreign affairs. So the work that you do in that setting um, even at that level, it's like, where does this go as a separate entity or can it be identified as a separate industry? And so I think being raised in that context um, in Tonga, obviously you have as part of an extended family and a community, a lot of duties and responsibilities that demand of you to know things about the creative practices and um, to be involved in that way. And then um also, I think my family and specifically my my mom's a musician. My dad's also a performer growing up naturally. Mm-hmm. Um, and so really pushed us to value that part, that aspect of our lives and see it as something that we could pursue a career in. And, um, you know, we could by by exploring it could make a really meaningful contribution to our community. So um, I think that's that's not always the case growing up in the islands, that you're really encouraged to pursue that. Um, and so, yeah, coming out of high school and things, me and a couple of friends, we ended up starting an NGO that was really about exploring the way that arts could be used as a tool for um, helping to achieve the goals, the Millennium Development Goals of the United Nations. So we just, that was really a cool space to be able to look at it in a different context, um, to think about the arts in a different context than maybe as uh, your cultural or traditional um, duties or participation. Um, and out of that, I think you just developed, we were able to travel around the Pacific and develop really uh, meaningful relationships through the exchange, like through performing and sharing art and telling stories and the relationships are really deep. And so when, um, after that, coming to Australia to study, my motivation to come here really came from knowing that, okay, in the Pacific to continue to do this, you had to be the artist and the curator. And there wasn't like an mm. emphasis, you had to be everything. Mm. And so I thought, okay, if you kind of want to continue to see this be a path, you have to have some kind of qualifications would be valuable to kind of train yourself. So I came to QT. And then from there, I think it really was just the richness of those relationships through the Pacific Um, and being in a setting. I think Brisbane is an interesting context too, because it's kind of just, or maybe it's like a long, I can't say just, but it's very slowly finding itself in terms of its relationship to the Pacific. It's not like New Zealand where it's quite, you know, forthcoming and we're here and um, the Pacific is a part of our identity. Queensland seems to be, um, yeah, kind of still figuring out that relationship um, Mm -hmm. in a way. So, I mean, for someone like me, it also presented quite, um, it means that there were a lot of opportunities to kind of play a role in that having come and now having this um, this training, um, I guess. So then just naturally, I actually ended up working, I did some performances at Kogoma and um, was part of just like dancing there. Uh, new Ruth from a couple of different spaces and I think Maud as well from being an exhibiting artist and being involved in regional festivals that they also attended uh, and was asked to come on as a research assistant but with a specific focus on community engagement so I think that was a really nice way to enter the gallery is not to come in 
Um, I'm not a trained curator too. <laughs> I don't know what that means for a Pacific curator to be qualified. Um, I don't know if that necessarily comes from university or something like that. I think for me, it came a lot from uh, my relationship with people like Ruth and Tarun and Ruben, who are the team at Kogoma and with Zara Stanhope. It was just um, being able to learn by doing and being supported to uh, to do that and being trusted to be like chucked in the deep end um, and build capacity that way. So that's come in my, my role, I think two years and shifted to curatorial assistant, but I see there's no different. It's still mm. got a huge emphasis on community engagement and just honoring those relationships and connections mm. that um, I have really tried to prioritize maintaining to friends and networks in the Pacific. So yeah, and I don't know where we'll go next. I don't necessarily, yeah, I think we'll just see. <laughs> Maybe I'll just start like by, because I grew up um, on the land of the Yagura peoples in Brisbane. Um, spent, a, spent my childhood there, even though I was born in Rabaul. Um, and so, yeah, I was just thinking about what Auntie Sana said about, you know, just how she said she was bored after like, you know, wanting a career change. And I just remember thinking I was so bored as a child in suburban Brisbane. And so I spent a lot of time in my room just being creative. Like that was, it was out of pure boredom that I actually just became creative. And I think I see that, I see that resonate again, you know, with a lot of these lockdowns, especially here in now Melbourne, you know, we've had a, we've had a lot of restrictions to being indoors now in, in our homes and that's forced people to be creative. Mm. And I think that's really interesting. Um, to reflect on how creative people become when a lot of their liberties are taken away mm. and how valuable that is. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I just, I always go back to like my childhood in suburban Brisbane and that um, even though I was living in the suburbs of Western, Western um, Brisbane, like out in Ipswich, like it was just, I felt like I was in another I thought I felt like I was in Papua New Guinea, to be honest. Like my mum had just pretty much transplanted Papua New Guinea in our backyard. And everything in our home was very Papua New Guinean. And so yeah, we were growing up running around the streets, um, you know, um, had a very culturally diverse upbringing. Um, had a lot of um, yeah, very, very, very culturally diverse neighborhood. Um, and I just I, I really treasure that because I hear a lot of people say, you know that you know in Australia the like you know they were the only Asian person they were the only brown person I was like that was not my childhood <laughs> like in, in my in the three streets of my neighborhood you know just in my street alone we had a Torres Strait Islander family we had a Papua New Guinean family which was us we had a Tongan family um yeah. we had a Down syndrome family we had lots of families who were from Sherberg Mission um there was a Yugoslavian family there was a Spanish family there was a Mexican family and they were all Aussie <laughs> Wow. <laughs> like it was the most amazing neighborhood um and that was my, like I just remember running around the streets just hanging out with all those sorts of kids and so um yeah I but I also spent a lot of time going to like my my mum and her um the Papua New Guinea community like they started the Papua New Guinea Independence Days and they started in the halls in Annalee you know, I remember going to them as a kid and it was just like all the aunties would come together and like just cook some food and then we would just rock up to the hall in Annalee and there'd be like live music and like all the men all the PNG men would be really drunk and I remember watching them like dancing and they've got beers in their hands <laughs> and 
um, and all the women were like cooking and cleaning and, and like me and my sister were just like standing there like watching just going wow okay <laughs> <laughs> and I remember like the second there was another time my sister and I went to um, a PNG independence and it was in the valley and it was oh, it was somewhere just off like um, one of the main streets in the valley I've, I've forgotten all the names because I've lived in Melbourne for so long now um, but we had to go upstairs in this building and I remember there was like this really strange instrument that was like all bamboo and my sister and I we were only like I don't know like 10 I was 10 she was like eight and we were just like what is what is this thing it was massive these massive bamboos that were just like laid down and there was like different sizes and then um and then all of a sudden you know there was like music time you know all those formalities were done and then the men yeah. Then get up and they started playing with the rubber thongs and started hitting. The, yeah, they started hitting the thong phone. And my sister and I were losing it because we we're like, are they playing that instrument with thongs? And it was just like that was culture. So we we just got culture, you know, Papua New Guinea culture. Um, you know, just it was just there all the time. And so I didn't realize how rich and nourishing that ex- those experiences were as a child until I became an adult and I moved to Victoria, moved to Melbourne because I, I wanted to um, I wanted to live here. I, I couldn't describe what it was in Melbourne. I just wanted to, I knew I knew, I knew I wanted to live here. I wanted to pursue um, a career in the arts. Like that was that was the goal. And I felt like I had to do it in Melbourne. I didn't feel like it was Brisbane was the place. Um, and so I moved to Melbourne and. Um, yeah, um, realised that, you know, um, I didn't know how I was going to do it because, you know, like I'm one generation away from the village. And so, you know, mum wasn't, mum didn't have like a, a full education. And so she didn't know how to help us and support us through the education system here in Australia. So like, I didn't even know what, that you could do a degree in arts at university. I just had no idea. And so I just had to figure it out on my own. And I did. And I did a Bachelor of Arts in Photography um because that was that was what I loved and so um yeah fast forward um 10 years like I established myself in Melbourne and um had my first solo show um that took me to Adelaide and I met um a really um beautiful woman from Bougainville Teresa. Auntie Teresa yeah and she told me she was working at the South Australian Museum and um she said oh you know that there's like these you know, these things that are in the museums. And I was like, what? <laughs> I just had like no idea that there were there were these objects, these historical ancestral objects in museums because I just didn't know. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, she told me. She said, I'll go to Sydney. There's this woman there called Taloi Havini. Go see her. Oh. So I went to Sydney, met Taloi. Didn't know Taloi, just emailed her. Um, then got introduced to the collections in Sydney at the Australian Museum. And that was it. Like it just, that was the big shift in my practice. And so I found some very, very beautiful ancestral items from Tolai community. And that became the focus of my um, master's research. Um, and then I met Auntie Sana in amongst all of that as well. Oh. <laughs> and just for the record, I think it's really important to acknowledge that Auntie Sana is like the first Pacific curator in Australia's oldest gallery. I think that's a really, really significant thing to acknowledge. Um, yeah, she's you're the first one, Auntie. You're the pioneer. You're the pioneer curator for us. And so, I'll, t- I'll, 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 I'll tell you how my last day later. Okay. <laughs> so I yeah, I remember meeting Auntie San at the National Gallery of Victoria, and I was just like, oh, 
okay. <laughs> and, and yeah, like what you were saying, Ro, like what is a specific curator? Because like I don't, I don't see myself as a curator, even though I've been, I'm in this conversation, I'm just like, what? Like I don't even know what that is. And I, I, I ended up making up my own word. And it's um it's something that's in my language of Kwanwa. It's kabina na wabina, which means a woman of good heart and good mind. Hey. That's what you need to be if you're going to be caring for the collections of our community. Like you have to be of good heart and good mind and good spirit. And so that's what I always try to be whenever I do my work. And so, um, yeah. So I remember like saying to Auntie Sana, you know, oh, I actually want to work in the museum. And <laughs> she was the first one that I told. Before. She's, huh? Yeah. You told me to use before you actually went into the yeah. museum. Yeah, yeah. So it was like she set the trail. So I was just, she already cut the path. So I was just coming in with my bush knife. I was like, okay, I'm going to cut my path now. <laughs> I'll just cut these little bits here. There, there. <laughs> yeah, so, okay, I follow that path. But Auntie, I'm going to go this way. Yeah. I'm going to cut my path this way. <laughs> um. Yeah, so I, I did four years at the museum, um, Museums Victoria, um, and I saw Atisana's name everywhere and I was like, oh, she's been here, she's been here, she's been here. And, um, yeah, so, like, Atisana's just been, a, you know, a guiding light for me in the, in the in the industry. So just want to acknowledge that. Thank you for tuning in to part one of this conversation. Join us as we continue our discussion in part two of this episode, Women of Good Heart, Mind and Spirit. See you there.